It doesn't take long to realise that we're starting a new series this morning called The Unstoppable Gospel. And that's where we're going to be going hopefully for the next, I guess, around 16 sessions, something like that. And so let's go ahead and turn, please, to the book of Acts. If you want a title for this morning's message, I've called it The Unstoppable Plan. And we're going to read together the entirety of Acts chapter 1. So let's enjoy God addressing us together from this book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldema, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Basabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we start a new series on the Acts of the Apostles, the unstoppable gospel. Lord, my heart is filled with excitement and filled with zeal. Lord, would you open our eyes to behold the wonders of this word? Would this word become alive week after week after week? Would we see the gospel go forward in its unstoppable nature through men and women? Oh Lord, would we be captivated by it in a way that it influences our own lives, our own way of living, our own burdens, our own passions? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts, stir our hearts, encourage our hearts. Lord, have your way by your abounding grace. Amen. Back in 2004, the whole world seemed to be talking about one film in particular. I don't know if you remember that far back. I cannot usually remember last week, but on this occasion I do remember this particular film in 2004. It was the talk of the media. It was indeed the talk of all Christians because it was Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. Everybody was talking about this incredible film that was depicting Jesus Christ and what he went through and his suffering, what he actually went to in our place and went through in our place. And so for two hours you see what they did to Jesus in all its gruesomeness and all its horror and I obviously went to see it. Everybody else went to see it. So, you know, particularly being a pastor, I thought, probably go see it if everybody in the church is going to go see it. So I went to see it. And the truth is, I was affected. But on the whole, I was just quite disappointed. For a start, it just felt very strange to be in a cinema with people, you know, eating ice creams and things and you watching The Passion of the Christ. The scene was bizarre. Secondarily, I was disappointed because I thought, although it did incorporate very well what Jesus went through. I think what it revealed to me afresh is the power of the preach word is far stronger even than that. Because I've been more affected by the preach word here in the gospel than I was even by that scene. I was affected by it. But it's not like when you hear the gospel preach, something happens in your heart and it comes alive in your heart in a different way to watching it. But the main thing I was disappointed about was the ending. See, how many of you can remember the ending? The ending is two seconds of a profile shot of Jesus being resurrected and then the credits start rolling. For two hours, you've watched what they've done to Jesus and then you get two seconds of the resurrected Jesus and the credits start rolling and you think, no, this is the best bit now. This is what it's all about. What happened next? He rose again and how does that affect our lives? How did it get from that moment to churches all the way around the world today? What happened next? And I remember, you know, you see the resurrected Christ profile shot. You think, here we go. Credits roll. No, you just want to stand up in the cinema and go, no, no, stop. Everybody stop. Let me tell you what happens now. Let me tell you why he came. Let me tell you why he did that. Let me tell you why it was so important that he rose again and let me tell you how then the gospel unfolded in an unstoppable way for the last 2,000 years. 
Or maybe you've wondered before, what did happen next? What did happen after Jesus rose again? The gospel's finished. He rises again. Excellent. What happens next? Well, if you've ever wondered what happened next, then I have good news for you. The book of Acts is where we find out the answer to that question. Because the book of Acts is where we find out what happens next. And what happened next in wonderful splendour is the unstoppable gospel starts to go forward in a way that has not been stopped and never will be stopped to this day. It's an incredible book then. I'm so privileged to have the opportunity to be one of the preachers that will be bringing these words to you. A bit of background then about this book. First of all, the author is Dr. Luke. It's the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's a doctor. And in actual fact, Acts is actually the second book of the same piece of work. You know, a parchment would only go so far, and so they decided to split it up into two different books. And so the first book is the Gospel of Luke. The second book is, you know what, this is what happened next. And we start to see the Acts of the Apostles. The first recipient was a guy called Theophilus. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, i.e. the Gospel of Luke, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The recipient is Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Not really too sure. We don't know much about Theophilus. We do know he is most likely to have been a Roman official. In Luke chapter 1 verse 3, he actually says, to the most excellent Theophilus. That's not just because Theophilus is paying his wage. It's actually because this guy has a position. So I'm writing to you, most excellent Theophilus. Here is what Jesus did. But what we do know about Theophilus, even though the details are sketchy, is that Theophilus had given the task of writing this account to Dr. Luke, of finding out all that Jesus taught and did, and he wants to know it. Why? Luke chapter 1 verse 4 that he may have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. Theophilus has been told about Jesus, been told about how incredible Jesus is and all his teachings. Theophilus is likely to have given his life to the Lord and yet he wants to be certain about it. So he says, Dr. Luke, I want you to start going and interviewing eyewitnesses, see people about this. And then would you write it down for me because I want to be certain about this faith. I want to see how it unfolded. I want to see what Jesus Christ really did do for me. And so the purpose of this book, in essence, at least by original recipient, is to provide Theophilus with certainty concerning the things that Jesus had done and taught. And so Dr. Luke goes around and he interviews eyewitnesses. He asks them all about what they saw. Did you, so you met Jesus, you walked with Jesus, right? You did. Okay, tell me all about him. Tell me what he said to you. Tell me all the different things he did. Tell me where you were. How did you feel about that? Mary, you were his mum, right? You, okay, good. Tell me what he was like. You know, what happened when he was born? What, did, what, did, what took place? That's the type of guy he is. He's using journalism. He's a doctor. He's detailed. You don't want a doctor who's going to be vague, right? You want a doctor who's going to be detailed. And so he's going about the task of speaking to eyewitnesses about what Jesus did. And then what you actually find out in the Acts of the Apostles is when you start spending time in the Acts of the Apostles, you realise Luke's actually in the story. He's going on location. 
Dr. Luke becomes the Apostle Paul's travelling companion. And so he is actually writing on the job as it's happening. And this is what happened to us today. Yes, shipwreck today, awkward. You know, that's what he's doing as he goes through this book. And then he sends it back to Theophilus when it's all done, saying, Theophilus, here is my work. Two books about what Jesus has done and taught in Luke and ultimately what Jesus is still doing and teaching now in the Acts of the Apostles. See, Luke was all about what Jesus had done and taught. Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do and teach through his followers, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we begin this 16-part series in Acts, I could not be any more excited about it. Even a cursory reading of this book, if you just sit down and you've never heard anything about Acts and you start reading it, you will be mesmerised even with a cursory reading because it's an amazing book. People lie and they start being struck down by God and die. You just think there's so many things take place in this book. It is noisy, it is busy, it is an adventure. This is like an Indiana Jones moment for a reader. You know, there is so much going on in this book. It is loud and it is exciting and it is adventurous. So even a cursory reading is an incredible one. But the reason why I'm most excited about it is because this book, just like every other book and part of the Bible, has something to say to us today. It has something to speak to you personally today. It has something to speak to our church personally here in Sydney, 2,000 years on, today. See, as we study this book together, we're not simply reviewing history. Now, we're engaging with a word, a Bible, that is alive and active that is sharper than a double-edged sword, that can pierce our souls. We are dealing with a word that God still speaks from today. The Holy Spirit is still at work. Jesus is still leading us, still guiding us, still empowering us. And he does it through his word. He does it through books like this. And so as we gather around this word, we're not just reviewing history. We're allowing to sit ourselves under the word so that God can speak to us today. And that's why I'm most excited about these 16 weeks. Because I think God will address us as individuals. God will address us as a church. And I don't think there could be anything more exciting than that. And so as we start here in Acts chapter 1, I want us to give ourselves to one verse in particular, namely verse 8. So you need to understand how these messages are going to work. You may have already worked out how we're going to do 28 chapters in 16 parts. It's going to be tricky to take it verse by verse. Well, that's true. And we are going to be taking big chunks. So the very last week, we'll be doing seven chapters. If you're in kids' work, I don't want you thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be there till half past four because they're doing seven chapters. Okay, it's not going to work like that. We are going to be summarizing big chunks deliberately, but then within those big chunks that are held together theologically, pointing you to the very nuts and bolts of what's going on there the real nut of what, the golden nugget of what is taking place in that chapter so that we can see the unstoppable gospel going forward over these 16 parts which Luke, ingenious, starts to show us. And so in today's message, we're not going to unpack then the whole chapter. We're going to unpack verse 8. And we're going to unpack verse 8 because verse 8 alone sums up all the themes that run through the rest of the book. You understand verse 8? you'll understand the rest of the book. You see the themes in verse 8? You will see them all the way through 
the book of Acts. Let's read it again then. Let's familiarize ourselves once again with this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Forty days have passed by since Jesus Christ, having been crucified, has risen from the dead. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene and then his disciples on numerous occasions. He spends time talking with his disciples, eating with his disciples, drinking with his disciples. And he's teaching the disciples in particular, unpacking for them the Old Testament and showing them how the Old Testament in its entirety pointed to himself. How all the Old Testament ultimately is fulfilled and points to Jesus Christ himself. But now we find Jesus on his last day. The last day before the ascension. The last moments before he goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so on this day Jesus takes his disciples outside of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives and there he outlines for them his incredible and ongoing saving plan. His plan that is going to go forward, that as he ascends, his plan, his gospel is going to go quite literally from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He starts to outline this for them and explain to them what their role is going to be and what he in majesty is going to do through them. It's incredible, all of one verse. But in this verse we get the three themes that run through the rest of the book. And here's the first theme then, number one. God has called us to be his witnesses. It's a theme we'll see time and time again. God's call on our lives to be his witnesses. See, it's fairly clear, isn't it? Verse 8, that we are called, he says, you will be my witnesses. Now, first and foremost, make no mistake, he's talking there to the apostles to these disciples in a first and foremost sense. And you know what, this must have come as a bit of a shock to them, to be fully honest. I mean, we know what happened and we know how the church starts to unfold, but they didn't know that. Imagine the scene. Jesus is telling you, you're going. Europe. He takes you out to Mount Karingai, this final little meeting, and says, okay, Europe. And the gospel that you're going to take is going to go from Sydney to New South Wales to Australia to all the ends of the earth. What? Did, did you, it sounded like you just said, that's what's going on with these guys. And it was a shock to them. Look at verse 6. When he gets to this place and he starts talking to them, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> it sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like what they were on about before he died. You know, James and John, you know, God, when you, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit at your right and can I sit at your left? And then James and John's mum's a little bit protective, a little bit winsome, a little bit keen for her boy, so she has a go as well. Jesus, is there any way? Because they're really nice guys, you know, they're really good guys. And their whole thinking is that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's going to knock out the Romans and he's going to come in and bring his kingdom here and now. Well, he's since died. He's risen again. He's unpacked for them how all the Old Testament points to him. And they say, oh, this is really good. So, and will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What? You know, if I was Jesus at that moment, you'd be like, 
I've wasted the last three and a half years. I, what, why have I bothered? I, I've, I've sought to teach you. I've sought to help you. Did you listen to anything? Well, Jesus, full of grace, as per usual, and mercy, knows exactly that ultimately, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to understand. So I'm barely going to answer that. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to remind you, and he's going to remind you that ultimately, my kingdom of not is, is not of this world. And my kingdom is going to come through, not through citizenship, but through faith. And that is going to expand around all the world through the proclaiming of the gospel, which you're going to do. So am I going to right now restore the kingdom to Israel? Thanks for playing. But you're going to go and take the gospel everywhere. You know, this must have been a grand shock for them. They think even now he's probably going to restore the kingdom in some way. And yet instead, before ascending, he says, no, you're going to play in the gospel. You're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to take the gospel forward. God has clearly called them to be his witnesses. First and foremost, the calling is on the disciples. And yet we must not miss something. We must not miss understanding that our faces are in the crowd too. In verse 8, when Jesus is addressing them, he is in effect 2,000 years on addressing us too. Because those original band of brothers simply represent us. They're the original ones called to be the witnesses, but as they witness, other people are gathered to their tribe and their movement. And yet the calling is on everybody to go, be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the end of the earth. Is that the Holy Spirit? That was like an Acts 2 moment, wasn't it? That was just genius. So we must understand our faces too are in the crowd and we have to see that. You know, one of my pet habits, which is really bad and I wouldn't recommend you do it, but you probably do it as well, is when I get wedding photos, when I see wedding photos, not my wedding, but other people's weddings, when I look through the photos, you know, hand on heart, I'm looking for two people. The bride and myself. That's what I'm looking. You know, I'm looking for the bride. I, I want to see the bride. Oh, doesn't she? Emma, look at this. She looks lovely. Now, where am I? Where, oh, there I Oh, I don't look too good. At, you know, I'm looking for myself. Where do I feature in this album? Either to think, this is not a good shot. How can I try and rip the page out? Or this is a good shot. Maybe this should be brought to the front. You know, I'm looking for myself as well as the bride. And you're laughing because you do it as well. I know you do. But, and we do it. We just, you know, I, I think I was in a shot. I remember, oh, there I am. Isn't that lovely? We all have a habit of looking for the bride and ourselves. I think one of the mistakes we can make with the Bible is we look for Jesus and forget to look for ourselves. We just read it as history. And it doesn't even impact us. And yet, so often, we are in the story. Either an instruction that we're meant to follow through, a promise that we're meant to grasp and live in light on, a theological instruction that creates a grid that we then live out. We need to look for Jesus, but we need to look for ourselves. And when it comes to God's word, we need to do that often. And right here, in chapter 1, verse 8, your faces are in the crowd. In just the same way that he says to the disciples, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Those guys are there to represent us. We're now called to do that, right? In John when he says, you know, just as the Father has sent me, I now send you. He's not just talking to those 12 guys and then says, okay, the rest of us following on have a nice life. It's not, they represent us. 
And these guys represent us in this moment too. God has called us to be his witnesses. Folks, I'm, I'm really hopeful then. One of my main hopes as we go through this series is that we would be stirred afresh then to be the witnesses that we've been called to be. That we would be stirred in our own lives as a church and as individuals to be a people who are truly seeking to win people for Jesus Christ. Who are seeking to witness of how Jesus Christ has how changed our lives. See, for like me, it can be so tempting, can it not, to leave this job for the professionals, leave the witnessing thing for people that we perceive as really good at it. So Brendan, Billy Graham, Willis, you know, people like that. You just think, you know, these guys, and I know we can find it really difficult, but you look at these guys and you think, you clearly have no fear of man. Some fear of man should be cultivated, but you have no fear of man when it comes to this area. And, you know, I, I wish I was like that. And then you're married to a lady like I am and you think, you know, you sit with people and you're like, so, do you believe in God? And, oh gosh, Emma, you're just going in and this is awkward and just, I'll just pick up the pizza. I'll just hear if you need me. And, oh kids, yes, I'm coming. You know, and when you live with people who just seem to find it very easy, and I know she doesn't find it easy, but they seem to find it easy. There can be a temptation in our hearts kind of not to leave it to other people that we perceive are really good at it. Nobody actually feels good at it. But we perceive they are. We think, I could never quite share like they do. You know, I'm aware right as we start this series, and I say to you, you know, one of the main themes is that we're going to be looking at how we're called to be witnesses. Some of you will be sitting here in this moment thinking, great, oh no, that's going to challenge me. That's going to affect me. I know that's going to be difficult. We're not going to do that life group thing where we go to Westfield Mall and just share, because that's really awkward, because I'm busy that week. I'm aware that we start thinking, you know, what is this going to mean? You know, Dave, are you going to, oh my gosh, have I got to actually talk to people and tell them they're going to hell? Is it going to be awkward? I'm aware that we can start to feel some of those things straight away. We begin to think about all the things that we're meant to know and don't know. All the questions that anyone, anywhere, at any time could ask us that we're probably not going to know the answers to. All the things that could go wrong as we start to share the gospel with people. And we start to panic, don't we? You know, just as an aside, I think one of the main difficulties we have as witnesses often is we overcomplicate it. We make it something it's not. We think that we have to have a degree to say anything. You know, because of the what ifs. What if they ask me this and I don't know? What if I get into this scenario and I don't really know how to answer that thing? But we're called to be witnesses, not experts. We're called to be witnesses, not know-it-alls. One of the best examples, I think, of that is is the man born blind In John chapter 9, his life has been radically changed by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ heals this man on the Sabbath. That's great news for this man, because he can now see, but awkward for this man, because it was on the Sabbath. And so all the Pharisees and all the leaders start to gather around this man and go, whoa, whoa, what do you mean you were healed on the Sabbath? That's not right to do things like that on the Sabbath. And so they start to interview this man and they start to harass this man and say, well, hang on, who did this? Why did they do this? When did they do this? What was their motive in this? They're really starting to harass this guy. And I love his statement. He just says, you know what? I don't know. I'm not quite sure who he was. I'm not sure where he went. And I don't know. And then he says, but this is what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. That's witnessing. That's witnessing to the transforming effect of Jesus Christ. 
there are loads of things that we will not know the answer to. And it would be good to try and study things, sure. But there will be many things that we think, I would not know the answer. Fine. But what you do know is that Jesus Christ came into your life and transformed your life, and you were blind, but now you see. Tell them that. Well, what if they ask me questions? I don't care. Be witnesses. Tell them how Jesus Christ has changed your life. So they talk to you about, you know, I spend time with you as a married couple, and you're just so dear. You know what? Thank you. That's the transforming effect of Jesus Christ on our lives because outside of that, we've been a mess. You know what? Your kids are so delightful. I spend time with them and ah, they say just such lovely things. Thank you. That is so kind of you to encourage. That is the transforming effect of Jesus Christ on our family because outside of that, we'd be nowhere. We can all witness like that, can we not? We don't have to have all the answers, but we can point to the source to a saviour who has transformed our lives and live in the good of that and the knowledge of that. I'm aware though, even in that, our greatest temptation can be fear, can't it? Lack of courage. We're fearful. What will we say? What might people think? We get nervous and as we go through situations, we start to freak out. And I know you do, because I do too. I totally do. My tongue starts to feel like it's three foot long and I I start to get words like mixed up that are just like the and stuff like that. You just think, why is this happening? I'm used to speaking in front of people but then again in different scenarios and like I start to feel awkward. I went away with my soccer mates the other week, the team that I play for and we had an overnighter and and I was praying beforehand and Riley was was praying with me in God's kindness that that the Lord had given me an opportunity to share the gospel. I love playing for Asquith Soccer Club. The challenge is we're a soccer club so I hang around with 35 guys all the time and we walk around as a blob. We're just a team so there isn't that many one-on-ones going on. So you're thinking, I'm going to need an opportunity to speak to 35 people at once and they don't seem to come up too often. So there's 15 of us, went away, camping, I was praying with Riley, the Lord gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with them and, and as soon as I arrived I'm thinking it's not going to happen. Um, this is not looking hopeful. I can't see how I'm going to introduce the topic of, so, anybody thought about Jesus? I'm not sure how it's going to come about that naturally. Well, Friday night, sitting around having had a meal together, happens 10 at night, campfire is lit and my coach says, so Dave, what does it mean to be called to be a Christian? And how did you end up being a pastor? <laughs> At that moment, you know, I am charismatic, but I didn't need too much charismatic in the moment to know that this is the Lord's opportunity um, opening up before my eyes. You know, at that point, I couldn't remember whether I spoke English or Chinese. It was hard to... I was pleased it was dark so nobody could see me because you think... You know, tongues at that moment was a reality in my mind. You just think, I'd never had that gift before, but in that moment, oh, tongues, I need it. Think of something to do, please. And I just started to share with them about, well, guys, you know, this is, this is what happened to me. And, and so one of them comes back and says, whoa, so you, so you mean, you know, being a Christian isn't about doing things, it's about what Jesus did for you. And you're like, exactly. And someone goes, well, where do you get that from the Bible? You're like, well, that's a great question. So I started to give them the storyline of the Bible. It was really neat. And they're like, well, how did you become a pastor? I'm like, well, I should be the last person to be a pastor. Well, why is that? Well, here's my story of how I became a pastor. And they're all starting to share their own stories about different things. And and my coach just says, you know, I'd love to believe like you do. And I said, well, it sounds like you just need more data. Hey, and we should keep talking about this thing. And so I went to bed, got up the next morning. They said, morning, pastor. And I'm like, good morning, team. (laughs) 
Good morning, boys. It's good to be with you. Right, turn in your Bibles. <laughs> you know, so we, that's what my coach says. So tell us, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? You think, oh my gosh, this is, this is full on. And well, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And, so they both have the same, no, that was before Christ. And, all that to say, here's the thing. I was fearful through most of that time. I was very aware. Lord, please don't let them ask certain questions because they're really hard ones. And okay, I'll just keep answering the questions. And I kept, to be honest, trying to change the subject at different times. And they kept bringing it right back. I thank God for that experience. For two years, we've been trying to serve into that club to get opportunities like that. It was an amazing and wonderful opportunity. And I think at some point, I'm crying out to God for grace. We invite them to everything already. They're very likely to come by themselves. But one week, if you see 35 ugly guys with their wives and kids here, you know where they've come from. You know, we're liable to come as a blob. But I lacked courage. I was fearful at that time. And that can cause me and I think others to want to leave it with the professionals. But God doesn't give us that option. He says, no, you're my witnesses. Each and every one of you. I need Emma. I need Anita. I need Rosalita. I need Peter. I need Matt. Because you're all in different scenarios, all with different people, all different clubs, all different societies, all different cultures, all different communities. I need you all to be my witnesses where you are. We can't hand it over. But here's one of the other things I love about Acts. Not only do we see the theme in Acts, how God has called us to be his witnesses, we also see the incredible theme, number two, that God supplies the power. God supplies the power. He is the one that is going to equip his witnesses to go and make disciples of all nations. He's not just saying, well, you become a Christian if you wouldn't mind. He's going to give us power for the journey ahead. You know, I thought a lot this week about the disciples. I couldn't help but think a lot about them. And I'm the type of preacher that I just love to live in Acts for a week. I just want to be there. I want to experience it with them. I want to imagine what it would have been like. And I can't help but wonder and think to myself, what would it have been like when Jesus drops the bombshell on them that I'm going, you guys are staying and you're going to be my witnesses. You've just seen me crucified. I'm resurrected now. 40 days on, you're up. You know what? If that was me, here's what I would have been doing in that moment. Jesus would be communicating to me, okay, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be part of this team that starts to be a witness. And then next thing you know, you're just reeling from that thought. Did he just say that? And then you notice him ascending to the sky. He's now going on his way to heaven, verse 9. Tell you what I'm doing. I'm jumping up and grabbing his foot. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Jesus, I need a seminar. I need some more instruction. I need some more clarity on, you know, the ends of the earth. Do you mean that like literally or just figuratively? Did you have anywhere in mind because it's a big earth? You know, I want to know a few more details. How are we going to do this? You know, is this right? Because Jesus... Oh my gosh, I, I, I haven't even got any tracks. What am I going to do? You know, I'd be very aware. Are you having a laugh with me in this moment? You want me to go, come back! You know what? I submit to you, knowing these guys as we journeyed with them through the Gospel of John, that's probably exactly what they're doing in this moment. Oh no. Did he just say we're on? Yes. But here's what else he said in verse 8 wonderfully and gloriously. He also said, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. God supplies the power. God is the one that gives us courage for our fearful souls. God is the one that gives us boldness for the journey of head. He calls us to witness and then he says, and I'm going to supply the power for you. I'm going to supply the courage you need. I'm going to supply the words for you to say. I'm going to supply the boldness to your weak body so that you can go to the ends of the earth and start to proclaim my gospel and be my witnesses. You know what, folks, if you're visiting with us this morning, one of the things you should know is that we are a charismatic church. We believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe that the Holy Spirit still acts in our lives. And so we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. They should be ordered, they should be understood, they don't want to be misunderstood. But that's why we just spent the last five weeks looking at the series on For the Common Good, studying the spiritual gifts, how they work, how they should operate, so that we can eagerly desire them and use them. And last week we left together as a church, I trust, eagerly looking for the gifts, didn't we? Eagerly looking to God for the gifts. Lord, would you give me these gifts that I may shine a light on Jesus in this local church all the more. Lord, eagerly I pursue you for these gifts. Well, the book of Acts, correctly understood, should leave us eagerly looking to God, not for gifts, but for power. Eagerly looking to God for power, for his strength, his courage, his boldness in the calling that he's given to us as witnesses. We're not called to just, okay, I get it, I'll go do it. Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. That's more than that. Now, our second hope for this series is not only that we would be stirred in our call as witnesses, but we would be stirred in our dependence upon the Lord. That we would start to grow as a congregation on what it means to really be totally and utterly dependent upon God for that which He is calling us to do in our lives. See, in Acts chapter 1, we encounter a small group of young and shell-shocked disciples that see Jesus ascending and no doubt going to epiplexy of, oh my gosh, I can't believe you called us to do that. But by the middle of Acts chapter 2, we see these same guys boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ, boldly proclaiming in the marketplace, preaching to 3,000 people at a time about how incredible Jesus is, what he's done for them and the glories of God. And you think, how did that happen? And in this moment, you all say, I know exactly how that happened. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit actually descended on them and they were baptised in the Holy Spirit and that gave them boldness. That's exactly right. But as Christians, we can be so focused on that event of Acts chapter 2 that we miss Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We miss another event that is vital that is a vital part of this story. Jesus has instructed them, you will be my witnesses. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Listen. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. 
all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Jesus has just instructed them, you're the ones. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What do they do? My temptation would be not only panic, but secondarily start to strategize really quick. How are we going to do that? So John, um, you could get the map out of uh, you know, Judea because I'm a bit sketchy there. Um, Bartholomew, okay, let's go. You go for, you go for the ends of the earth because that sounds really big. Right, how are we going to start to minister to people in Jerusalem? What can we do? What clubs and societies can we get going? How can we get in the midst of this culture? Not these guys. No, they get in a room and they shut the door and they cry out to God. They devote themselves to prayer, being aware we can't do this by ourselves. We're never going to make it. The task is too big. We, I need his power and I don't feel his power. I need to be on my knees. I need to be crying out to God for grace. Josh Harris says it this way. He says, prayer is the posture that acknowledges that it is only by God's power that we can bear witness and that we can do the work that God has called us to. Prayer is not passive. It is active, but it is active dependence. The person who prays is not a weak person, nor an ineffective person, but a person that acknowledges that apart from God giving them power to accomplish what he has called them to do, nothing is going to happen. Prayer is by nature active dependence. It acknowledges the fact that God supplies the power, and so the most effective thing we can do in fulfilling God's plan is to turn towards him and ask him to supply more of his spirit and more of his power to help us to witness as a church and as individuals to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, that's so true. One of the great themes of Acts is that God has called us to be his witness and I hope that we get stirred then in what it is to witness to Jesus Christ, to witness to how I was dead but now I'm alive. The second great theme, though, is that God has supplied the power. And I hope that that will just stir in our hearts an active dependence, a growing dependence on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because in the right sense, we're so lacking courage for what we know he's called us to. We're not not going to the prayer meeting because, you know, I'm brushing my hair that night. Or we go to the prayer meeting and think, is it going to be long? But we go to the prayer meeting and we get on our knees and go, Jesus, help me! I'm never going to do this! I'm never going to reach the people that you've brought into my clubs and societies and my communities on myself because I am afraid of them. And so, Lord, I need you to break in on my life because I realise the call is on my life, but I am scared stiff. That's an Acts church. That is a church that is gathering, not because anybody's making them. They are gathering because they are in the right side saying, God, I need you. I'm afraid. Lord, I need your power, I need your Holy Spirit to courage, give me courage and boldness because I'm aware that I'm called to be a witness and I'm afraid. Lord, help me. I pray that we will grow then in our active dependence upon the Lord throughout this series. That we'd be so overwhelmed with what he's called us to that no one will be making us pray. It will be the cry of our hearts to pray because we're aware of how much we need him. Now, the final hope that I have then as we go through this series 
is that our faith would be stirred. That we would be stirred in faith for the road ahead. And for that, we need to examine the third theme. The third theme that that we hear in verse 8. And it's this, that God's saving plan is unstoppable. That you will never, ever be able to stop the saving plan of God. See, here in verse 8, Jesus informs them that this plan involves them as witnesses. He then goes on to help them see how it's going to happen. That they're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to equip them for the task. He'll give them a boldness and a courage as they cry out to him and ask for his grace. And then, he is in effect pulling out, in the remainder of the verse, a map and explaining to them how this is going to unfold. Let's look at it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, the remainder of this book in the Acts of the Apostles, God's unstoppable plan unfolds before our eyes because that's exactly what happens In chapters 1 through 7, we see the gospel going forward in Jerusalem. We see how these men and the women that they're joined with start to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and to the Lord and lives start to be changed. In chapters 8 verse 11, you see the gospel going forward in Judea and Samaria. They go on for Jerusalem and start to spread out. And from Acts chapter 12 onwards, we see the gospel going forward to the ends of the earth, even making it to Rome which at that point would have been the end of the earth, the epicentre of the world. The gospel makes it to Rome. And all that starts right here in chapter 1, verse 8. The gospel then begins to go forward time and time again under duress. Time and time again we see the Christians suffering. We see them persecuted. We see them killed. We see what would appear to be The enemy stepping into our world and stopping Christians from moving the gospel forward. And whenever we see persecution, wherever we see suffering, wherever we see death, time and time again in the book of Acts, we will read, and the gospel continued to go forward. (laughs) That's because it's unstoppable. That's because you cannot stop the gospel moving forward. You cannot stop the sovereign plan of God. How? How is that possible? Why is this the case? How is it not possible to stop God's saving plan going forward? Is it just because he's sovereign? Well, yes, but it's more than that. And we so often miss it. It's because of what takes place in verse 9. That's why God's saving plan is unstoppable. Because Jesus, having called them to the task, this is then what happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. You know, as Christians, I think we know a lot about the crucifixion and we can detail at length how the crucifixion, how Jesus' death had an implication on my life. Through his death, I was forgiven of my sins. He made a way for me, he adopted into the family. Heaven was my home. He justified me. And then people started questioning about the resurrection. What difference did that make? That was incredible because that was God, in effect, saying to his son, you are finished. This is done. Now have your life back. 
I'm agreeing with my son's verdict of it is finished. It is finished. This work is done. His work is completed in your place. And so I'm raising him from the dead. And then we go to the ascension and people go, I don't know, I suppose that was just the bit where we went from earth to heaven. And No. There is great theological truth in ascension. Because Jesus Christ was not just going from earth to heaven on a sort of cloud conveyor belt. Jesus Christ was going to heaven so that he could be enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords. His work on earth was done. His culmination of his death and resurrection was now going forward in the heavenly realms and he was being lifted up to the heavenly realms to take his seat at the right hand of the Father where he would reign over all as King of kings and Lord of lords, King of heaven and earth. And that is why Because he was enthroned on high, because he was enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords post-ascension, that is why God's saving plan will never stop. Because we have a King of Kings and Lords of Lords overseeing it. We have a King of heaven and earth that sits enthroned on high and says, whatever happens, I will sovereignly oversee this and my gospel will keep going forward. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against this gospel. The church would be built because I am God and I am sovereign and I am the true king. 2,000 years ago, that's why in the book of Acts, even when they're under persecution and suffering and death, the word of God keeps going forward. The gospel keeps expanding from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it is because Jesus Christ is still seated at the right hand of the Father and is still King of kings and Lord of lords, a king over heaven and earth, that the unstoppable gospel will go forward here in Sydney as well. He's our hope. You see, we can be so distracted in reading Acts sometimes and be so taken up with all these superstars, Peter and Paul and all these guys that start to do incredible things. I think that's amazing. But what we need to understand is the real star of Acts is Jesus Christ. The one who is enthroned on high. The one who continues to do and teach through these disciples what he started in the book of Luke. The one who sits at the right hand of the Father and instructs now us as Christians to be his witnesses and then says, don't go anywhere. Be devoted to prayer and I will give you the Holy Spirit. And as you receive him, he will give you the boldness to go and now go. And you will succeed People will get saved despite you. Even when you mess up, they'll get saved. You'll even think, I didn't even share that very well. But they got saved, I don't know how. I'll tell you how. Because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords open their eyes and the Word of God goes forward. Now, my friends, I am hopeful then, prayerfully hopeful that as we go through the book of Acts, we would be stirred in our faith as well. It is scandalous grace. God's saving plan is unstoppable. And then he says, and I want you, Sovereign Grace Church, in 2013, to play a part in my unstoppable plan. I've called you to be my witnesses and I'll give you the power. So now go and be my witnesses and play a part in my unstoppable plan. And so folks, I want to encourage you as you go through the rest of this 15-part series. Give yourself to the book of Acts. 
Each week I'm going to let you know what passage we're studying. I'll send out an email this week for the remainder. Because we are taking big chunks, I want you to read ahead. Start to become familiar so you don't miss things when we're preaching. And start to soak yourself in this, gospel, in this incredible book of Acts. And as we do, look out for those three themes. How God has called us to be witnesses. How God in his grace supplies all the power and that God's saving plan is unstoppable. And here then is my overarching hope in it all. My overarching hope is that faith-filled, dependent witness would then be the theme of Sovereign Grace Church. That faith-filled, aware that his plan is unstoppable, dependent as we grow in prayer and crying out to him to help us, witness, action, would then be our theme. And that people, through the power of the gospel then, would get saved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your gospel is truly unstoppable. And Lord, it staggers me. It affects me, Lord. It it stirs me with faith. It's why any of us are able to get up in the morning and move forward, even when we're fearful. Because we're aware of your power and your splendour, your power and your sovereignty, and your power in your word, even through weak and feeble people like me. Lord, I pray as we go through this series then, Lord, would you teach us to number our days? And would you give us fresh passion to be witnesses? Lord, it's your sovereignty that we were born where we were born. And it's your sovereignty that we grew up where we grew up. And right now, it is your sovereignty that we are here. So, Lord, resting in your sovereignty, would you give us eyes to see the people around us, the community around us that are running headlong towards hell, that are uninterested in you, but whom we're called to be witnesses to. Lord, would faith-filled, dependent witness then be the lasting theme of this series? Would we grow in our affection for you? Would we grow in our awe of you as we see what you've done and what you continue to do? And would we grow in our faith towards you as we step out and tell people about Jesus? Lord, help us to do these things. Give us grace and power to do these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.